Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Matthew. Our, our text today is the same as last week, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. But before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's pray and ask God for His blessing on our study this morning. Would you pray with me? Our prayer for illumination is based on parts of Psalm 27 and 119. Let's pray. Teach us your way, O Lord, and lead us on a level path. Teach us, O Lord, to follow your decrees. Then we will keep them to the end. Give us understanding and we will keep your law and obey it with all our hearts. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father, who is in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Kids, uh, fifth grade and below, come up and join me. Good to see you all. All right, so, in, oh, nice milk. In the beginning, God made our hearts to love Him and His kingdom over everything else. It's, it is Play-Doh. It's symbolic. It's supposed to be our heart. It's not a very good heart, though, is it? God's heart was way better. Yeah, well, I tried. Yeah. And, and for a time, the hearts of Adam and Eve, our first parents, they held that right shape, that heart that loved God and loved his kingdom more than anything else. But when Adam disobeyed, sin came and twisted the heart all out of shape. And it, it, it twisted not only Adam's heart, but it, it twisted every human heart so that our spiritual hearts kind of look like this lump of Play-Doh. They, they're misshapen. They are not at all how God intended them to be. And that means... Instead of loving God more than everything, loving His kingdom more than everything, what do we most easily love? We most easily love ourselves, 
We want to build our own little kingdom instead of God's. We, we even uh, focused most easily on what we want to do instead of what God says is good and right. But, but when Jesus rescues us, he does that by giving us a new heart. He begins that work of remaking our hearts into the way God intended it to be in the beginning. Now, obviously, Jesus does a better job than I do, right? But he begins that work of reshaping us so that our hearts begin to work properly again. You know, it's not perfect right now, is it? No. But it's a heart that's beginning to look more like how a human's is supposed to. Now, as we said in the last weeks, the Holy Spirit uses God's Word, He uses baptism, He uses the Lord's Supper to reshape our hearts. But in what we just read today, we also hear how God uses prayer to change our hearts. You, you see, when we begin praying the Lord's Prayer for, for God's name to be honored over everything else, when we pray for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, the Holy Spirit is working through those prayers to keep reshaping our hearts, to, to make it right again. And, we, and as our hearts are changed, we begin living more and more in line with the way God intended it to be in the beginning. Our hearts changed again to love Him and to love His kingdom more than anything else. And we learn that such a life is really good and beautiful. It is a slow process. I want you to be sure about that. Our hearts aren't made right all at once. But using prayer to, to reshape our hearts, that was actually God's idea. And, and He, uh, through Jesus, He is the one who taught us to pray to Him as our Father, starting with that prayer uh, starting with prayer about His name and His kingdom and His will being done before anything else. And so, pray. Pray to our Heavenly Father, trusting that He really does want what's best for us. And trust, too, that God Himself is working through prayer to change you. Because He promises to do that. That's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right. Thanks, guys. You can go back to your seat. If you haven't already done so, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. As Sam said, we are again this morning uh, considering Jesus' teaching on prayer uh, in his Sermon on the Mount. And we are doing this as part of our study of what are referred to in our catechism as the means of grace. Those, those means by which God pours his sanctifying grace into our life. That, that grace that, that sustains and, and strengthens our faith and empowers us to walk in a way that honors that faith and brings forth its fruit in our lives. And so last Sunday... Uh, we began looking at prayer as a means of grace. And we saw that we will begin to experience prayer as a means of grace rather than uh, as a means of shame or a means of, of frustration only when we stop praying like the hypocrites and the Gentiles who, who seek to use prayer in order to get what they want and instead begin praying 
to our Father in heaven. Our, our Father who, who knows what we need even before we ask. And not only knows what we need, but delights to give it. It's when we begin praying to our Father in heaven that we begin to experience prayer as a means of grace. And I suggested that praying in this way, praying to our Father in heaven, works as a means of grace because it changes us, it, it transforms us, it sanctifies us in the same way that the Word sanctifies us. It, it changes us by setting us free from the anxious pursuit of the pleasures and, and treasures of this life, those things after which Jesus says the Gentiles run. It frees us from the anxious pursuit of those things so that we might instead, as Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And not just seek it, but, but seek it with inexpressible joy and incomprehensible peace. That's, that's what praying to our Father in heaven does. For if our Father in heaven, our, our good, good Father, knows what we need and delights to give it, then we are truly free. We are free to love and to serve and to seek the good of others because we no longer have to, to grasp after what we consider to be our own good because we know our own good is already secure in His hands, kept and guarded by, by His inexhaustible power and all-encompassing love. And so that is exactly how we need to begin praying. We, we need to begin praying to our Father in heaven, knowing that we pray to the one who knows what we need and delights to give it. And that's exactly what this prayer is. This prayer is a model for how we are to pray to our Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, don't pray like them, but instead pray like this. Pray saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it is those first three petitions that I want us to look at this morning as we, as we begin to consider this model prayer. How? What do these petitions mean? What are we actually asking for and then after we have understood them, how do we use them? How do they actually work as means of grace in our lives? How, do, how does praying this way work to transform and renew us after the image of the glory of our Savior? That's the, that's the question that we're going to be wrestling with this morning. So let's, let's begin with the first petition. And I'm going to go in a slightly different order than what's in your, your uh, outline. We're going to look at the first petition, uh, understanding it, and then using it. Then we'll look at the second and third petition, uh, doing the same thing. So let's begin with just the, this first petition. How do we understand it? What does it mean when we pray, hallowed be your name? That word hallowed, it's, it's familiar to us, but only because it's part of this prayer. It's not a word that we use in, in any other context. So what does it mean when we pray for the name of God to be hallowed? Well, a word that's a little bit more familiar to us is the word sanctify. And that's really the same word. It can actually be translated that way. It is translated that way elsewhere in, in the scriptures. When we say that something is to be hallowed, we mean that it is to be Sanctified, But as I said, that word is only slightly more familiar. So what does it mean uh, for something to be sanctified? What are we asking for? 
Well, when we ask for something to be sanctified, normally what we think of is, is we're asking for something to be made holy. Something that was previously not holy is to be made holy. That's certainly what we mean when we uh, speak of our own sanctification. God is making us holy. We who were dead in our trespasses and sins have been made alive together with Christ, and now we are being made holy in Him. But that language of sanctification can also mean to treat something that is holy as holy. It really depends on the context. If you're talking about something that's already holy, to sanctify it is to regard it as holy. If you're talking about something that is not holy, to sanctify it is to make it holy. And so as I said, when God hallows or sanctifies us, he is making us holy because we're not holy in ourselves. But when we sanctify God, which is something that the scriptures speak about, When we sanctify God, obviously we're not making him holy. He is already holy. But when we sanctify God, we are regarding him as holy. We are relating to him as holy. So what does it mean then to do that? What does it mean to relate to God as holy? How are we to understand that idea? I think we can begin to piece together a picture of what it means to relate to God as holy when we look at the Old Testament, we look at the way that we are told to sanctify God. Where is this language of sanctifying God used? We're we're so much more familiar with the idea of God sanctifying us, but, but how does the scripture speak about us sanctifying our Lord? Well, it does it in a number of places. Uh, sometimes positively, sometimes negatively. One place where we're, we're told that, that Moses did not sanctify God is in Numbers chapter 22. It's a story that I think is familiar to most of you. The, the people were doing what they did so often in the wilderness. They were complaining. They were complaining to God. This time they were complaining about not having water. Something that they had complained about before, and God had had supplied them generously. But this time, instead of coming to God in faith and saying, hey, we need water again, they instead complained and, and accused God of bringing them into the wilderness that he might put them to death. And At this point, Moses was tired of it. <laughs> he, had, he had had enough. And so he, he goes before God in his anger, and he says, what am I supposed to do with these people? And God says, speak to the rock. And I will pour out all the water that they need. But Moses, in his anger, instead of speaking to the rock, strikes the rock not once, but twice. As you know the story, God still in his grace generously provides the water that they need. But afterwards, he, he speaks to Moses and he says to him, you are not to lead this people into the land. You're not to lead this people into the promised land. Why? Because you did not sanctify me. You did not relate to me as holy. And what was the substance of that failure? God says, you did not believe me. You did not take me at my word. And so one of the ways that we sanctify God, one of the ways we relate to him as holy is that we believe him. When we hear his word, we believe it as the very word of God. We believe it as that which is true and that which is good and that which is, was wise. And so we sanctify God by by hearing his word as the very word of God. It's one of the ways that we relate to him as holy. We see something similar in Isaiah chapter 8. There, God is calling the people through the prophet to sanctify him. 
to, to hallow him, to, to regard him as holy. And how are they to do that? Well, in Isaiah chapter 8, uh, we're told that they are to sanctify him by not fearing the nations that are threatening them, but instead by fearing him. This is actually the language that, that Peter picks up in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, do not fear what they fear, but fear the Lord, for he is holy. And so to regard God as holy is first to believe him, to, to take him at his word, but then it is to, to fear him, to, to hold him in awe, to know that he is God, to know that, that there is no life apart from him, to, to believe that, that he is your rightful Lord and King. And so we, we sanctify God by believing him, we sanctify God by, by fearing him, and in Leviticus chapter 22, we learn that we sanctify God by obeying him. There the command is positive. God is actually calling on the people to sanctify him, to regard him as holy. And he says, you will do this by obeying my commands. Not only believing my word, but doing it by doing what I call you to do. And so again, we see that we, we sanctify God by, by believing him, by fearing him, by obeying him. And we can maybe wrap all of this together in Leviticus chapter 10. When God says, I am going to sanctify my name, I am going to cause my name to be regarded as holy, and I'm going to do it by glorifying myself in the eyes of all people, of all creation. And so when we glorify God, when we, when we praise Him and honor Him, we sanctify Him, we regard Him as holy. So you begin to, to see the pattern, do you not? God is hallowed, God is sanctified when he is believed as God, when he is feared as God, when he is obeyed as God, when he is glorified as God. Again and again and again what we see is that hallowing God or, or sanctifying him is simply regarding him as God, treating him as who he is. Remembering that he is the maker of heaven and earth, the rightful Lord of all creation. And so when we say, hallowed be thy name, we are saying, may you be known and regarded and related to as the one true and living God. May your word be believed. May you be feared. May your commands be obeyed. May your name be glorified. That's the prayer. And, and notice, it is a petition. We are asking that this be done. I think many, some, many think of this as an acclamation, as, as, we, as if we were saying, praise the Lord, hallowed is your name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We, we think that we are, are joining our voices to the angels in Isaiah's vision, declaring that God is holy. And, and while that is certainly true, and while we should, should certainly praise him, we need to understand here that Jesus is giving us a petition. We are asking that something be done. It is not an assertion, but a request. We are asking that God's name be hallowed. And since we are praying to our Father in heaven, we are asking that our Father in heaven cause his own name to be hallowed. That's the, the substance of the request. God, cause your name to be magnified and glorified. Cause your name to be sanctified. By whom? Well, the prayer doesn't specify, but... 
But I think we can infer that by, by all who owe him glory, by all who owe him honor, which is to say all of creation. God, cause your name to be hallowed by all who, who know you as God, all who you have called into existence. We are asking God to cause his name to be hallowed by everyone and, and everything and all of creation. And what I want us to see is that there's a, certainly a personal dimension to this. There's, there's a personal dimension to this request that God's name be hallowed. We are among his, his creatures, and so we are praying that God would cause his name to be hallowed in our hearts and in, in our lives. That's, that's part of this request. When you pray, hallowed be thy name, you are, in a sense, praying that God would sanctify his name by sanctifying you. <laughs> By making you someone who reflects his glory. Someone who, who believes his word and walks in the fear of him and obeys his commands and, and glorifies him in everything you do, whether you eat or, or drink. You are asking God to, to make you into the kind of person through whom his name might be sanctified. So there's a, there's a personal a dimension here to this request, and that's, that's significant. That's part of what Jesus is, is teaching us to pray. But, but understand that this prayer is not exclusively personal. It's not, it's not exclusively asking that God would work in us, that, that, that we might become the kind of people who hallow his name. But we're asking, we're asking God to work in all things, in all places, everywhere, that his name might be glorified. That's the request, that God, it's a, it's a cosmic request. God, there is so much out there that causes your name to be blasphemed. There is so much out there that dishonors you. There is so much out there that, that, that denies the reality of who you are. Put an end. Put an end to all of it. Put an end to all of the blasphemy. Put an end to, to, to all that, Father, which, which dishonors and, and, and uh, besmirches your glory. That's what we are asking for. Not only that we would become people who would honor him, but that God would work in all of creation, that his name might be glorified everywhere. This is the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. And I want you to understand that it's significant that this is the first petition The order is not random. By making this the first petition, Jesus is establishing this as our first and highest desire. This is that which we ought to desire above all else. This is the end which, which we ought to seek and, and, and uh, pray for before everything and anything else. And it's when we begin to see that, when we begin to see this as the first petition, not just temporally, not just in, in some random order, but as the first petition, the highest petition that, that God would have his people pray for, we begin to see how this prayer works as a means of grace. As Sam was saying to the kids, in, in Adam, in our first parent, our natural inclination is, is not towards the glory of God's name. On the contrary, our natural inclination is to want our own name to be glorified. We want to be regarded. As my dad used to say when I was younger, we want the world to revolve around us. 
We, we want everything to bend to our will. We, we don't want to serve. We want to be served. And we want God to do the serving because he's got the most power. And we want him to bend his will to ours. We want him to, to supply our desires. We want him to, to, to bend to our agenda. And this is all an expression of our sinfulness. The reformers used to say that the, the essence of our inherited sinfulness is that we are now in curvatasse. We are curved in on ourselves. We are self-centered, self-concerned, self-absorbed. We want everything to bend to our will and to serve our interests. That is the essence of sin. But when we begin to pray to our Father in heaven, as Jesus teaches us to pray, praying this way begins to set us free from those self-absorbed desires. It begins to, to set us free from the, from the desire and the pursuit of our own good on our own terms. That's what we saw last Sunday. When we pray to our Father in heaven, we are set free from running after all those things with anxious zeal. But, but notice, Jesus doesn't just set us free from the pursuit of those things. He doesn't just leave a vacuum. He sets us free from those things that he might redirect us towards better ends. And it is those better ends that he is giving us here in this prayer. He is teaching us not only to, to not run after those things, but to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, to seek first the glory of his name. Jesus gives us a prayer that can transform our natural inclinations. He gives us a prayer that can teach us that our highest good is inseparably bound up with Him and with uh, uh, His glory, with Him being regarded and honored as God. Because you see, Jesus understands that when we are honored as God, things don't go well. When God is honored as God, we flourish. When God is honored for, for who He is, things prosper. When He is not, when we, when we divert the glory that is due Him to another, we suffer. We have to begin to understand that it is far better that He be regarded as God than, than that we be regarded as God. Because the truth of the matter is that, that when people serve us and bend to our will, it leads not to flourishing, but to misery. Because we are not God, and we cannot bear the, the weight of being regarded as such. And if you doubt that, if you, if you still somehow linger in your mind, you have this idea that, well, if people would just do what I wanted, things would go better. Look at the world, and, and look at those people with power and with resources to get what they want most of the time, and see where it leads. <laughs> It doesn't lead to their good or to the good of anyone around them. When people are regarded as God, it leads to destruction because we cannot bear the weight of being God. It, it crushes us and it crushes those around us. If people are regarded as God, everything falls to pieces. And contrary to our intuition, it leads not to our delight but to our misery. Only God is able to bear the weight of being God because only God is actually able to hold all things together. And so it is good. 
It is good that God be honored, that his name alone be hallowed. And it is his mercy and his kindness that demands that you have no other gods before him. It is his mercy and his kindness that teaches you to pray, hallowed be my name. And that is why Jesus makes this the first petition of the disciples' prayer. When we truly realize that that God is our Father in heaven, we begin to pray not for our name to be regarded, but for his name to be regarded. Because we realize that it is in his honor, his glory, his sanctification alone that we and everyone we love enters into the good for which we were created. Now understand this. When, When we first begin to pray this way, when we first begin to pray, hallowed be your name, we may only see this partially. We may only believe this partially. There may be a part of you that, that still is clinging to that, that, that notion that, well, if I could just get this at least, then my life would be better. In fact, I think I can probably stray it stronger than that. It not, may not be. Uh, it will be. When you first pray this way, you will only see this partially. But again, that's the point. As we pray this way again and again, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, we will slowly be transformed. We will come to see more and more clearly, more and more perfectly, the the beautiful goodness of God's name being hallowed. As we pray this way, we will desire it more and more earnestly. We will desire the glory of his name more and more as we pray for it more and more. That's what it means to say that prayer is a means of grace. You see, prayer is not meant to be merely expressive. This is what I want you to hear this morning. Prayer is not meant to be merely expressive. Prayer is meant to be formative. Prayer is meant to shape you. We sometimes think that that it's better to to pray what's in our heart, and certainly there's a place for that. But prayer is not only to express what's in your heart. It is to shape your heart. And that is why it is so important that we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. When we pray like hypocrites or or Gentiles, when when we pray to get our way, Understand, those prayers are shaping you. They are are bending you even more in on yourself. They are are solidifying your desire for your own will and your own name and your own kingdom and your own agenda. But when we begin to pray as Jesus taught us, even if it's only an inkling that, that sees the truth of what he's teaching us, That prayer begins to shape us too. It begins to to break us free from that self-absorption. And it begins to to transform us after the image of our Savior. That we might more and more and more delight in the good will of our Father and seek it above all else. When we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, we are renewed and transformed. And this is what we have to see. This is why we have to begin praying as Jesus taught us to pray. And we we see much the same thing in the the second and third petitions. 
Uh, I'm going to go through these quickly, but, but, but first, notice the connection between these petitions. Uh, they're, they're listed as separate petitions in our catechism. They, they look like they're separate petitions here, and certainly they, they are independent petitions, but they, but they can be taken together. And in fact, I would suggest to you that they, they should be taken together. They are, they are self-referential in a way. We, we see this actually later in this, this own chapter. Uh, at, at the end of, of chapter 6, what, look what Jesus says in verse 33. He says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first, singular. The, 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 the singular uh, end that you ought to seek before all others is the kingdom and righteousness of God. Kingdom and righteousness are are bound together. It's why in Luke's gospel, the the third petition isn't actually listed. There, Jesus simply says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread. The second and third petition are, are, are folded into one. Why? Because these petitions are to be taken together. In some sense, they, they, they fill one another out. In fact, they are really even filling out the, the first petition. But, but when we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are asking for his will to be done because where God's will is done, there is his kingdom. So what does it mean to pray that his kingdom come? Well, what we're praying is, is that his kingdom would, would come in completion that he would bring to completion the good work that he has begun in Christ. That good work that he, he tells us in Ephesians is, is the work of subduing all things to himself. Jesus didn't come just to rescue souls out of a, out of a, a corrupt and damned creation. Yes, he, he came to save a people for himself, but he came to save the entire cosmos. He came to reconcile all things to himself, to subdue all things to himself, to reestablish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are praying for God to bring that good work to completion. So obviously there's an eschatological focus to this petition. Now, I know that's a, a scary word for a lot of us. We, we, we know that uh, there's a lot of differences of opinion about eschatology, and I'm not even remotely interested in getting into that this morning or mostly any other time either. Uh, but but I'm, I'm just not that concerned about, about your millennial vision of whether it's pre or post or ah or, or whatever. But, but whether you're interested in those discussions or not, you ought to be interested in eschatology. Because eschatology is the, the study of last things. And the last thing uh, is, the, is God bringing to completion the good work that he has begun in Christ. It's that time when we will see everything that God has accomplished, fulfilled, consummated, all things made new. That, that vision that we heard in our, our preparation for worship this morning, that vision of the new Jerusalem coming down and being established on earth. That's what we are praying for when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But when we pray it, we're not simply praying for the end product because there's also a present progressive element here. We're, we're praying that God would be working progressively towards that end. That even now his kingdom would be more established in your homes and in our cities and in our relationships and in uh, in our own hearts. You see, again, uh, there's a personal element here. We're we're praying that God would cause his kingdom to to come in our hearts, that that we would honor him as God, that we would relate to him as king, that we, we would be bent to do his will. 
but also that his will would be done in all of our relationships, in all of our workplaces, in all of our communities, in all of our neighborhoods, and even beyond our neighborhoods, even to the ends of the earth. God, do that good work more and more. That's what we are praying for. And again, what I want you to see this morning is that this prayer is formative. Jesus is not merely giving us information, saying, well, this is the kind of thing that you ought to be praying for. He's saying, pray for this thing, because when you pray for this thing, it will change you. It will incline your heart towards the heart of God. And the heart of God is towards his kingdom. Again, as I said, you, when you begin praying this way, you may not feel it fully. We, we, we have this idea that extemporaneous prayer is better because it's authentic, because it's sincere, because it expresses what is in our heart. And again, there's a place for that. We, we see it in the Psalms. There's a, there's a place for, for pouring out what is in our heart. But understand this, that, that being authentic is a virtue only if it's a starting place. You being authentically true to yourself in Adam is no virtue. Being authentic to yourself is, is a virtue when it's a starting place for the transformation that you need. When it's a starting place to acknowledge, God, I am not who I need to be. I am not who I, you created me to be. Change me. And one of the ways that we begin to be changed is by praying as he taught us to pray. Because yes, extemporaneous prayer is good, but, but we need these prayers too. We need these scripted prayers. We need these words because these words change us. And so let me end by simply encouraging you to use this prayer. We use it on Sunday morning. We, we say it almost every Sunday. We go through the words. But you need to make this the pattern of your Prayer. That might mean using the actual words every day as you come before the Lord in prayer. It might be simply using the pattern of, of the words, making uh, this the, the pattern of your prayers as you come before God, praying for the glory of his name and the, the establishment of his kingdom and the, the doing of his will. But one way or the other, you need to pray like this. At first, again, like I said, you may not feel it. You may think yourself insincere. But let me challenge you to trust that Jesus knows how to teach his disciples how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Because when you pray like this, he knows you won't feel it at first. He knows it will feel insincere at first. But he also knows praying this way will do its work. Praying this way will change you. It will have its effect. It will conform you more and more to the image of the one who gave you this prayer. And he gave it to you as a means of grace, a means of making you new. And because he has given us a prayer that can not only express what's in our heart, but change what's in our heart, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we come before you now. Humbly asking, Father, that you would teach us to pray this prayer. Father, teach us to pray for the glory of your name. Teach us to pray for the coming of your kingdom. Teach us to pray for the doing of your will, not only in our own lives and our own hearts, but even to the ends of the earth and throughout the entire cosmos, Father. May we pray this way so that these ends might become the true desires of our hearts to the praise of your glory. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.